this idea that um, what, that just, what just happened in this room is church. I mean, yeah, we sing songs. That's church. We like to worship together with one voice. It's a big part of what we do. But I don't want you to miss that so many people just got home and shared. They, they shared praise items. They shared concerns. They, they shared pains of losing people this week. But I'm telling you, even somebody, somebody got up here and said, hey, we have, a, we have a, not just a son of mine, but we have a brother in Christ that's struggling. And then we have another guy up here and goes, hey, I got some hope for that. <laughs> that's church. That's church. And, it, and it's not us going, here's three steps to Mitch getting back. First of all, let's, let's just keep, you know, positive vibes, positive vibes. No. We just, we just got around this mic and said, there's hope. There's hope even when we run from God, God is still at work. He's pursuing us. He doesn't stop pursuing us. Keep trusting, keep praying, keep pursuing him. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. We are going to pursue Mitch as Christ has pursued us. And if you don't have any connection to Mitch other than prayer, it's enough. Just keep praying. And if you have connections to Mitch, meaning you've texted him, you've been with him. I've had a couple meals with him. We've sat back here at this table when he first started going through all these raw emotions and I pleaded with him, don't leave the fellowship. I know you're gonna wanna leave. I know you, you're in a place right now you don't wanna hear any of this. Don't leave. I don't care. You don't have to smile. You don't have to talk to anybody. Just don't leave the fold because once you leave the fold, you're alone. And you don't hear any voices other than the voice in your head and it's a bad voice. You need this. You need this. I don't care if you want to be here. You can tell people you don't want to be here, but it's a place for you to come where people can remind you you are loved and you are cared for and you matter. And we can't always do that well if we just walk in here, we sit in, I preach, you go home, but we open it up. We have a mic. We want you to come early. We give donuts for Pete's sake. You don't pay a dime for those donuts. We want you to come and have a donut early, not so you can enjoy a donut, so you can talk. So you can communicate with one another, so you can fellowship, so you can build relationship. Man, that was good. Let's just pray and go home. Father, just kidding. <laughs> just, just kidding. Some of you got really excited, and you should repent. All right. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, I will keep it a little shorter today. We're only looking at four verses, and I know that scares some of you, but I promise you, I promise you, uh, I, will not, I will try to stick to my notes here. Um, uh, by the way, for the next two weeks, you're going to get a break from Matthew 5. Okay, and then we're gonna jump right back into it next week. As Lisa said, is kind of our uh, ministry fair, but I, she said enough about that. I wanna talk about that morning service. For 13 years here at Journey, Melissa has led our children's church. Is she in here? Or is she upstairs? Okay, Melissa has been our children's track director. She's done a phenomenal job. She's had so many teachers start and quit, start and quit, but we've had one faithful, and it's been Melissa. She don't even have kids in the kids' program anymore, and she's still... Listen, every time I talk to her about the kids, she cries. She cares. And for 13, almost 14 years, we've preached the, teach the gospel project to our kids. And some of you have no idea what that is. And next Sunday, you're going to get an idea what that is. And we, we should be doing this once a year, okay? But for the first time in 13 years, uh, we won't wait another 13 years. We want our kids' program to be front and center. And we want you to see what they get to experience every week. And then we want to sign some of you guys up. <laughs> to help. Not, not even really hidden motives there, but we, it's going to be a lot of fun. And then obviously in two weeks is what? Yeah, listen. 
If there's ever a week you'd invite your neighbor, your coworker, or your mom, your dad, your son or daughter, and they're probably not gonna get mad, it's probably Easter or Christmas, right? And so here's your opportunity to invite them come. We're going to sing some extra songs that day. We're going to sing like six or seven songs. That means my sermon will be a little shorter and a little bit more concise about the, the glorious hope we have in the resurrected Savior. And so we want you to come. We're going to explode this place. We're going to practice on Friday night. We're going to gather with three other churches, okay? We're not going to announce this a lot. We don't have to announce this a lot because there won't be a seat open in this building on that Friday night. And so here's the only announcement. If you want a seat, you better come early. Now, you should probably be kind to give it up to our visiting churches, okay? But we're going to have like 120 people in this room singing worshiped songs about the cross of Jesus. And it's gonna be glorious. It's gonna be loud. Okay, bring your earplugs. I don't know what you gotta do, but just come and let's enjoy this thing. If we have to open the windows and let them hear it from the yard, we'll do what we gotta do. But it's gonna be glorious, all right? So make plans to be here on Good Friday. Make plans to be here on Easter. Invite your friends for Easter. It's just gonna be a great next couple of weeks, all right? So I wanna start with this slide, Jeff, this first slide on there. The word of God is fill in the blank. Say it out loud. What'd you say? <laughs> sharper than a two-edged, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Somebody else. Love. Alive. True. Truth. Infallible. Faithful. Never changing. Yeah. The word of God is true. All of those things that you just said is true. By the way, most of those are Bible verses, right? It's inerrant. We don't always understand it. But if you were to, to go online under jccdesoto.com and then click on our beliefs, you would see seven doctrines of belief, just seven. We try to keep to the essentials there. I think there's other, there's, in our bylaws, there's other doctrines of belief, but we want to people who visit our website to know what we believe about God, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about the Holy Spirit, what we believe about marriage, what we believe about, I think we even threw in some sanctity of life and all of those, so we call them the seven essentials, uh, the big seven. Uh, and if you were to read number one on that list, here's what it says. The Bible is God's word to us. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit, it is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and the ultimate authority for Christian living. Because it is inspired by God, it is absolute truth without any mixture of error. That's what you would read. Because we believe here that the Holy Scriptures is the living, breathing word of God. We believe 2 Timothy. Chapter three, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right and God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The Holy Scriptures was written over a span of 1,600 years from 13 different countries, three different continents, written in three different languages, and yet it all fits together perfectly to tell one story of a glorious God. Think about that. How many is in this room? 50 people? We couldn't all get our story straight today about what just happened in this room over the last 10 minutes. There would be all of these little over 1,600 years written from three, 13 different 
countries, three different continents, written in three different languages, all these different, 40 different authors. And they all tell one glorious story. We believe that there is no greater authority on earth by which we are to submit our lives to than thus saith the Lord. But have we ever stopped to ask the question, what does Jesus believe about the Holy Scriptures? What did Jesus say about the Bible? After all, we are a Jesus-centered church, so we want to see the Bible through his eyes, right? In other words, we want to conform our thoughts to think about the scriptures the way Jesus thinks about the scriptures. So today, as we continue in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we get four verses that reveal four basic truths concerning Jesus' view of the Bible. Now, this first one's a little longer than the last three. There's really two of these out of the four that if if, if you had to forget, like, Pastor, I can only remember two, all right? I want you to remember one and three. These are the two, those are the two that I want you to make sure that you grasp more than anything, but, but it's just four, and so let's, let's dig in here this morning, and let's see what God has for us. It's just four verses, starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Let's read just the four verses. Don't mis- Jesus says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish or fulfill their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and you teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law, the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Father, I pray that this morning you would help us Believe, receive, retain what you want to show us from your word. May it fall on good ground and may it produce good fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a passage that really in my however many years I've been teaching or preaching, I haven't really spent a whole lot of time here, right? This is not a passage that I've, I've, I've read it. I understand it a little bit, I guess, but I've never really preached a sermon on it. I've never probably taught, I know in my 10 years of teaching teenagers, I probably um, didn't teach it. I'm not really sure uh, why I didn't teach it, but, but this is kind of the beauty of preaching expositionally, right? Uh, that just means that we have been preaching verse by verse through a book of the Bible, and the, the beauty of that is that um, nothing gets left out. Now, there's pros and there's cons to that. Uh, the pros are that we cover everything so we get a better understanding of the book or the letter and what the author is trying to, 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 to get across. The con, the negative is you don't get to skip the hard parts. And, uh, and there's some hard parts coming up in Matthew. Just prepare yourself. Jesus, Jesus says some things that you're going to want to get mad at me I just need to remind you to get mad at Jesus. Okay, I'm just going to say what he says. And that's why we had to spend so much time in the Beatitudes, 
because you will get mad at Jesus if we're not allowing the Beatitudes to be what drives us to everything he teaches us in this sermon. So we're not going to skip them. They might be shorter sermons, but we're not going to skip them. Uh, But today, we're just going to look at these four verses, reveal four truths about Jesus' view of Scripture. View number one, here we go. Jesus believed, this is my favorite point, by the way. Jesus believed that all the Scriptures pointed to him. Jesus believed that all Scriptures pointed to him. Verse 17, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Clearly here, Jesus is speaking of the Old Testament because there isn't any New Testament yet, but, okay, Jesus, what Jesus affirmed about the Old Testament, he also promised concerning the New Testament. You can read that later, John 16, verses 12 through 15, if you wanna note that and go back and read it. But Jesus talks about, there's so many things I still wanna teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach them to you. And so he does connect the New Testament to the Old Testament, but Jesus makes it clear to his audience that he did not come to tear apart or dismantle the law and all of the prophets. He didn't come to destroy the Old Testament. He did not come to separate us from it. He came to fulfill it. It's good news. I'll share that in a moment. It's not a question of did Jesus come to abolish or keep the law, but rather between abolish and fulfill the law. It's different. It's different. The law finds its fulfillment, its intended goal and purpose in the person of Jesus Christ. For he is the one to whom all these scriptures point. He is the one they all predict and they all anticipate. James Boise put it this way. I was gonna write this, but it's a little long to put on a slide. So just listen carefully. I'll read it slow. The Bible is about Jesus And he is its fulfillment in all ways. He fulfills the moral law by his obedience, the prophecies by the specifics of his life, and the sacrificial system by his once and for all atonement. What a beautiful statement. Do you know what James just said? The entire Old Testament was fulfilled in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' goal was to bring scripture to fulfillment and fruition. It's why he came. Let me show you some verses that maybe we've just looked over before. In John's gospel, chapter five, verse 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Luke chapter 24 Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe that all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets exclaiming from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus is mentioned as early as Genesis 3, remember? When God shows up in the garden and Adam and Eve are no longer enjoying one another and enjoying fellowship with God, they're hiding behind trees. And I love God's statement. Where are you? Listen, he knew. He wasn't that, oh, I can't find you. Where you at? Now he's speaking more to the heart here. Hey, where are you? 
Why are you hiding? Who told you you were naked? And in that moment when he began to announce, pronounce judgment on all that would come because of the curse, he reminds us that there's one coming that will strike the heel or the head, I'm sorry, of the serpent. That's Jesus as early as Matthew 3. And every page thereafter is foreshadows of the one who's coming that would take away the sins of the world. I love Noah's Ark, but the point of Noah's Ark is this, Jesus is the greater Ark. I love the story of David and Goliath, that this little bitty boy defeated this great big king. The point of that story isn't that we can go out and defeat every giant we want. The point of that, Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater shepherd. He is the smitten rock of the Old Testament. He is the serpent lifted on the stick in the Old Testament. He is every promise given and every prophecy fulfilled. And this is good news for us. Why? Because we could never keep the law. Come on. We can't even keep the top 10. You know, the Ten Commandments. Can I prove it? Anybody here in this room ever obey their parents perfectly? Don't raise your hand because you, then you lie, and that's another one. <laughs> nope, we've all broken that one. How about stolen something? I don't care if it's a pencil off your, 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 your partner's desk next to you when you were in third grade. I don't care how big or how small. Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? Yes, you have. You're a thief. Have you ever committed adultery? Jesus says if you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. You ever killed somebody? Don't answer that. <laughs> I gotta report it by law. <laughs> I don't know. Jesus says if you've hated someone in your heart, you've committed murder. You ever lied? Listen, we're only through half of the top 10 and what we've learned is you are a lying, thieving, adulterous murderer. <laughs> and that's the point of the law. Jesus came and fulfilled not just top 10, but every single law and prophecy of the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he did that on our behalf, because he knew that you and I would be lying, thieving, murdering adulterers. He did not destroy the law, he fulfilled it. And now we can look on every page and see the greater person of Jesus, and we don't have to feel shame because of us not being able to keep the law. We get to worship Jesus because he kept the law perfectly on our behalf. That's why we sing one and only Jesus, because nobody else has fulfilled the law for us. Isn't that awesome? View number two, Jesus believed that the scriptures were perfect in every detail. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved 
In Luke's gospel, chapter 16, here's how he says it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the smallest point of God's law to be overturned. Jesus is affirming the reliability and the trust, the truthfulness of the scripture with this strong statement. And I wish we could take some time to, Jesus is talking a little bit about the alphabet here that they were so familiar with. He goes, listen, every I will be dotted. Every T will be crossed. Every line that makes an O a Q will be in place. Not one dot will be removed. He's saying this, the word is true and it's not going anywhere. It's here to stay. New Testament scholar H.C.G. Mole, never even heard of him until I was studying this week. He said it so well, listen to this. Jesus absolutely trusted the Bible. And though there are things in it inexplicable and intricate that have puzzled me so much, this is a scholar, I'm so puzzled and I am going not in blind sense, but reverently to trust the book because I trust him. That is what I want our stance to be here at Journey because we will never fully understand all of Scripture. And listen, we might even struggle with some parts to agree with the Scriptures. We want to argue with God about things in His own word. But listen, here's our stance. We want to trust all of Scripture because we trust the one that all the Scriptures are about. He's given us no reason. He has given us no reason not to trust him. View number three, Jesus believed the scriptures are to be obeyed and taught. Verse 19, so if you ignore the least command and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys the law and teaches them, notice he doesn't, he doesn't divide these things. It's, this, it's the obedience and the teaching of it. Obedience and teaching. A completely true and trustworthy Bible should be treated with the utmost care. And that is so convicting, isn't it? Unless you're just a lot more spiritual than me. And we could say, we could try, oh, I carry a Bible with me everywhere I go in my Bible app. I haven't opened it in 46 days, but it's always with me, right? And the word of God, I, don't you ever feel convicted that you ignore it? I do. You pay me to open my Bible every week. And I, and I do, because it'd be really embarrassing if I show up here and I'm like, got nothing, all right? Let's testify some more and go home. But there's a difference between me teaching to be ready to teach you and allowing God to just spend time with God to allow him to teach me, to soak into the word for me, not because I have a job to do, but because God has a, a work that he's wanting to do in me. I feel so convicted when I say something like we should treat it with the most utmost care. It should, be, it should be the thing that takes highest priority in our lives, the word of God. If it's true and if it's trustworthy, then it's worthy of our study and it's worthy of our obedience and it's worthy of our teaching. We cannot ignore that Jesus teaches us here there, there are serious consequences for those who break God's commandments and teach others to do the same. 
And don't get this mindset that means that you're standing in a classroom going, guys, I don't think you need to keep that one. Jesus might be saying, hey, just by you showing others that you break it and you're okay with it is teaching them that they can break it and be okay with it. And Jesus says, there's consequences coming for that individual. God, help us. God, give us grace. I don't want to stand before God one day and be called the least in the kingdom because I took so lightly his word and obedience to it. The scripture is like rails for a train. They provide tracks that guide the Christian life. If scriptures is the track, then our love for Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit provide the energy to, to, to power the engine and move us forward. Can I give you some scriptures? You know some of these. These are, these are not new, but they seem to bring a little extra life when we're reading them in context. In John Chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, obey me. If you love me, obey my commandments. Like, Jesus talked a lot about this. And like, I didn't, it's not part of the, 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 the verses, but Luke 6, I believe 36, 46, somewhere in there. It's, it's crazy to me that Jesus says, why do you keep calling me Lord if you're not gonna do what I say? Like Jesus just had a meltdown moment with his audience. Like you keep saying, oh, Lord, Lord. And, like, and then you go home and you live any way you want to. Like you can separate your love for me and your obedience to me. And Jesus says, that's not biblical. That's not scriptural. That's not true. You can't love me and disobey me. If you love me, you will obey me. In John 15, 10, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. That's got a gospel rule sound to it, doesn't it? Jesus says, just as I love my heavenly Father and I remain in fellowship with him, you have to remain in fellowship with me by loving me and obeying me. 1 John 2, 3. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. There's this disconnect, right? You can't say that you're a Christ follower and not follow Christ. <laughs> and we've gotten good at that in America. I was born in America, so obviously I'm a Christian. I was born, my dad's a pastor, so obviously I'm a Christian. I went to a Billy Graham concert uh, concert, uh, crusade when I was 13. Obviously, I'm a Christian. I felt the spirit move in that arena that night. No, absolutely not. 1 John 3, 24, those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them, and we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. 1 John 5, 3, loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Are you hearing the theme here? And I love how John just kind of wraps it up here. He bookends it well. This is one of the last times he mentions this. He mentions this a lot in 1 John, but I love it because it says, and these commandments, this being obedient to Christ, it's not a burden. It's not a, it's not a weight we got to carry. It's, it's an honor. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's, it's weight lifting. And I no longer have to 
figure out life for myself. I just follow the one who's given me life. When I understand that his commandments are not a guardrail up to keep me from having fun, but to keep me out of the ditch. Not trying to hold me back, but trying to give me life more abundantly here, now, where I can enjoy life more through him. Charles Spurgeon encapsulates it, verse 19, so well with this simple prayer. Lord, make me of the kingdom a right, loyal subject, and may I both do and teach according to your word, whether I am little or great on earth. Make me great in obedience to thee. God, whether I ever get to stand on a big stage in life or a little stage in life, may whatever stage you give me, may I be faithful to obey you in all things. What a prayer. This is why we speak often around here about obedience being the goal at journey, right? It's not enough just to hear the word or even receive the word. We gotta obey the word. It's not that we just come and we worship Jesus. We have to obey Jesus. And if either one of those two things get out of whack, we're out of whack. A good, balanced Christian is a Christian who lives in worship to what Jesus has done, right? This is midweek, right? What Jesus has done in obedience to what he has called us to do. A well-balanced Christian. This is why we often say around here as well, nothing ends with us. Whatever Jesus teaches us, he wants us to teach others. You don't ever have to stand in front of anybody at church and teach. You don't have to stand in front of a classroom, but you are absolutely obligated as a Christian to teach others what Jesus has taught you. It's part of the Great Commission. You are not out of it. You don't get out of it. You, if you have been separated as a disciple of Jesus, baptized into God the Father, the God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, then you have been commanded, commissioned to teach others what God has taught you. It's right there. Go look at it for yourself. That doesn't mean a classroom. It might mean a coffee shop. It might mean an email. It might mean a conversation at lunch break. But it's just an opportunity for you to tell somebody else what God is teaching you. Why? Because Jesus in the scriptures reminds us that obedience and teaching is high priority for the church. Not for the paid staff, but for all of his staff, all of his sons and daughters. View number four, and I'm done. Jesus believed the scriptures focus on the heart and the spirit of the law. Look at verse 20. But I warn you, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers or of the law, and that this would be the scribes, if you've heard that phrase before, unless your righteousness is better than the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's, let's get out of 2022 for a moment, and let's just go back to his original audience. Because to his audience, the scribes and Pharisees were the elite of the religious church, the scribes and the Pharisees were admired and they were highly respected in Jesus' day. His words in verse 20 would have been very, very shocking to his audience. Could you imagine if you were a Pharisee and scribe in the audience and you're there and you got your fancy robe on, you got your little lashes and you're, you don't have to remind people who you are. They remind you. When you walk down the streets, they honor you as master, teacher, and here they are listening to Jesus talking, hey, 
unless your righteousness is more than those, you're not gonna get into heaven. What? What a shocking moment that would have been. Better righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees was unheard of to Jesus' audience because the scribes were highly trained experts in interpretation and application of the Old Testament law. Scribes would be noticed and honored again as they walked down the streets. Hey, when they went to a banquet, they were the ones that got to sit at the seat of honor. That was their status. Pharisees were members of a movement in Judaism that was committed to, uh, to meticulous obser- obser- uh, observation of the law. What I mean by that is they would emphasize matters such as you better tithe, you better do the ritual purities, right? You better observe the Sabbath. That's why Jesus got in so much trouble with the Pharisees because Jesus who came to fulfill the law wasn't exactly the best at observing all of these things that the Pharisees had a checklist for. It's, it's, it's the Sabbath and you just healed a man with a withered hand? We'll talk about that later. Most of these leaders prepared for their positions from childhood. No lie, go study it. Most of them had to have the whole Torah memorized. I'm still trying to get our whole church just to memorize John 13, 15. She says, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. That's hard enough for us. They had to have the entire Torah memorized. So this is something that they took seriously. They practiced. They prepared for this from childhood. So how in a world could our righteousness be better than their righteousness? As deep as their commitment and practice of knowing and observing the law was, Jesus reveals throughout the entire New Testament. He's just kind of scratching the surface here in Matthew 5, but through the entire New Testament, he's going to remind people that the scribes and Pharisees' faith is only skin deep. Very, very surface. In fact, he even starts calling them names. The Bible's interesting. Jesus was a name caller, man. Could you imagine, here comes these elite of the elite, and everybody's like, master, teacher. And Jesus goes, snakes, tombs, dead man's grave. <laughs> what? That's different. Jesus, that's not very honoring. <laughs> it's because he had a reason to point out their flaws. In verse nine, if, if verse 19 warns us about the danger of lawlessness, then verse 20 warns us about the deadly danger of legalism. Had a very interesting conversation this week. I'm on the chamber board and we had the home show here in town. And so Friday night, I spent about two or three hours helping set up for that. And the lady that got assigned to help me hang banners just started asking about the church. And she says, are you that really, really strict church? Or what kind of church are you? I'm like, well, we're a Jesus church. So you might think, knowing her, we're probably strict on some things. <laughs> but I begin to share with her some of the things that you know, we experience in the legalist world. And I'm like, those are not of Jesus, right? God forbid a woman ever get kicked out of church because she don't have a dress on. It's happened. That's legalism. 
And that's a whole different sermon. I'll stop. Greater righteousness. Let me, a few statements about greater righteousness, and I promise I'm done. Greater righteousness is focused on the spirit of the law rather than merely the letter of the law. Meaning, the purpose of the law was superior to the law itself. The motive behind the law that God gave is superior to the letter of the law. That's why so many people could watch Jesus, or actually Jesus would tell the story, there'd be all of these rich people come to church and when the offering plate came around, they would just, their wads of money. And then here's this lady with nothing to give, but two Little, is that right? Am I in the right story? Two little mites? Is that the KJV? And, they, and everybody goes, oh, are you kidding me? They gave all of this, and she just gave that, and Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Listen, she gave more than they gave because they have all of this, and they gave just this, and all she had was this, and she gave. That's what I mean by superior. The motive behind the law is superior to the actual letter of the law. Greater righteousness focuses on internal matters rather than external matters. Meaning this, moral purity of our hearts trump ritual purity of our hands every day of the week. Meaning we're more, we're more concerned around here with pure hearts and pure hands. And Jesus is after both. But legalism is when we want to fix this before we fix this. Before you can be a part of our church, you need to get your hands clean. Jesus says, let me remind you of this one kingdom expression in Romans about um, God accepting you through Christ and how you should accept us. Was your hands clean when you came to God? Did God say, hey, you get your life straightened out and then I will accept you? Is that how it worked for you? It's not how it worked for me. If it was, I still wouldn't be, I still wouldn't be a part of the family of God. No. Man, the whole, listen, he's calling us to holiness. He's calling us to have clean hands. But we start with pure hearts. Greater righteousness focuses on manifesting divine character rather than merely keeping divine commands. I love that. It's more about us, ref listen, don't focus so much on I gotta obey, I gotta obey, I gotta obey, I gotta obey, I gotta obey. Just focus on this. I wanna reflect the character of God today in my life. Oh, I gotta obey. The preacher said obey, 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 or disobey. No, you either reflect or deflect, okay? You reflect the character of God. And when you don't, you repent, and you, that's all repentance is. Hey, God, I didn't act like you in that moment. Or, if you're like me, God, I haven't acted like you for about a week. God, I just lost it on that lady that honked at me in traffic. And I'm pretty sure you would not have said the things I said to her. Listen, when you almost hit somebody in the Walmart parking lot, <laughs> I won't pick on her because she can't hear me real well. This, this week, I almost ran over Sister Carol at Walmart. <laughs> and I blame her. She wasn't looking. 
a bad combination when she's going down the, uh, the roadway at Walmart and she's looking this way and I'm pulling out of this parking lot and she's in my blind spot. And, you know, I, I put that on Facebook that I almost hit somebody, but that's a lie. I did hit her. I hit her cart. And I look back in my side mirror and she's like, and I got out and she goes, oh, Pastor Rick. <laughs> See you Sunday. God bless you. Praise the Lord. I'm like, Carol, don't talk to me that way. You're yelling at me. No, she didn't. She was very, she goes, you hit me. I'm like, I know I hit you. <laughs> and the next words out of my mouth is, Carol, that's going to be a great sermon illustration someday. Let's just move on from this moment. It's a little embarrassing for me. And yeah, <laughs> uh, I had my daughter with me. And on the way home, I was like, what is God doing in that? What's the chances out of hundreds and hundreds of people at Walmart, I hit somebody in the parking lot and it's somebody that goes to my church. God, what do you want to teach me in this moment? <laughs> you know, like what's the chances of that? And I'm like, God, thank you that I did not kill her. Holy cow. That would have been devastating enough. It was somebody we didn't know. It was Sister Carol. You guys would have fired me and everything. It would have just been bad. Yeah, I told, I said, I said, don't tell mom this. And before I got in the door, she's like, Rick, our dad almost hit Carol at Walmart. Yeah. Uh, we're way off track. Greater righteousness focus on, focuses on manifesting divine character rather than divine commands. And here's the deal. And then I, I'm done. Jesus is not asking us to beat the scribes and the Pharisees at their own game on their own turf. Jesus here is introducing a brand new concept of righteousness altogether. This righteousness is from God through Jesus, and it permeates our entire being. Here's the bottom line. Jesus believed the Bible, and that's good enough for me, and I hope that it's good enough for you. Let's read it, let's live it, and let's give it away to others by teaching them what he teaches us, amen? And don't be at Walmart at the same time as me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Matthew 5. We thank you that we are beginning to look into the sermon of Jesus beyond the Beatitudes. God, that has to be the preparation of our heart. And then you remind us last week we're the light and we're the salt. And then this week you're, you're beginning to show us the importance of the scriptures and how all of it points to you, and that all of it is perfect and that all of it is meant to be obeyed and trusted and taught and that, God, ultimately, we can believe that what you were mainly after was not just clean hands, but clean hearts. May you help us hunger and thirst for more of this righteousness and hunger and thirst for more of your word. God, maybe today what we need to do is just recommit ourselves to believing that your word is authoritative in our lives above everything else. And maybe today, more than anything, what we need to do is just resubmit ourselves to it. God, we're not always good at obeying it, and we're never gonna get it perfectly, but again, that's the good news of Jesus, right? And so we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the fulfillment 
of every command that we will fail. So we don't have to try to be obedient and fear that if we fall, you're going to crush us because you've already crushed Jesus on our behalf. So we get to live your commands with joy. And when we fail, we get to repent and we get to continue in joy because of Jesus and what he believed about the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God bless you. Hey, come back next week. Be excited about what's gonna happen with the ministry fair and with the kids' service. Let's have a great week.